You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. Welcome back to your latest blast of the past right here with 80s Revisited. This week we're talking about John Carpenter a lot and the, this film that he made called Starman with Oscar-nominated Jeff Bridges. And Starman came out on December 14th, 1984. Four days before that, however, Cisco Systems is founded. We've all seen Cisco Systems, but if you, in case you don't know, because I looked it up just to be a little more educated about the real world, Cisco develops, manufactures, and sells networking hardware, telecommunications equipment, and other high technology services and products. It's also the largest networking company in the world. Oh, wow. So more fun stuff, though, coming up on 80s Revisited. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Okay, are you crazy? You almost got us killed. You said you watched me. You said you knew the rules. I do know the rules. Oh, well, for your information, pal, that was a yellow light back there. I watched you very carefully. Red light stop, green light go, yellow light go, very fast. Truer words have never been spoken, because yes, uh, yes, yellow does in fact mean go very fast. Especially in Baton Rouge, where the traffic is shit. Ah. Utter shit. Welcome back to 80s Revisited. I'm your, of course, I'm your host, Trey Harris. With me as always, my Jenny Hayden to my star man, or vice versa, whichever way you want to look at it, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And we just needed some more John Carpenter on the podcast, and it was high time that I watched this movie, which I've had ready to go for over a year, (laughs) at least, at least. So we're going to talk about the John Carpenter and Jeff Bridges classic, in my opinion, Starman, which was released December 14th, 1984. IMDb gives it a 7.0. Rotten Tomatoes, 81% critics, pretty damn high, Mm -hmm. Uh, 69% audience. So that really shocked me when I looked it up, because I figured that, oh, the critics liked it, and I really liked it. I'd assume it'd be a closer disparity and not... I mean, it's relatively close. It's ballpark, I guess you could say, but... Everybody was on still, board. For the most part, yeah. I guess that's certified fresh. I'm not sure where they cut that off at. But uh, anyway, had a $22 million estimated budget. Depending on where you go, IMDb says one thing, Wikipedia says another. I believe I trusted IMDb for this one. Uh, opened at 2.8, which was good enough to make it the number sixth movie for the week. It was outdone by Beverly Hills Cop being number one, uh, which, of course, because that was one of the highest grossing films of 1984, if not the highest, I believe, because it barely beat Ghostbusters, if I remember our Best of 1984 episode correctly. And also opening at number two, and also beating Starman, David Lynch's Dune. Or, depending on which version you watch, Alan Smithy's version of Dune. Because hmm. David Lynch took his name off of it. But more on that right. whenever we finally get around to that other movie, which I've mm-hmm. had ready to go for over a year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Starman domestically went on to gross $28.7 million. Uh, couldn't find any worldwide or rental information on it. But nevertheless, it was it made some money. Uh, as I mentioned, directed by the great, great John Carpenter. Of course, The Thing, Halloween, Assault on Precinct 13, Escape from New York. On and on and on. Fantastic. One of my absolute favorite directors. Uh, written by Bruce Evans and Reynold Gideon. Uh, as a team, they also did Stand By Me. Great. Mm-hmm. Cover on the podcast and the Gina Davis Matthew Modine flop, Cutthroat Island. Oh. Although I saw that movie in the theater, and I I, I want to say it came out in the early nineties. Not sure when. Nineteen ninety five. Okay, mid nineties. Uh, I don't I don't remember hating it. 
Granted, I haven't seen it since then. It's 5.6 on IMDb. But it's one of those that got, like, you always hear, like, oh, God, it's another Cutthroat Islander. Or at least I've heard that, like, more than <laughs> once how bad it is. But I've not revisited it. The director of that uh, did uh, Deep Blue Sea, Long Kiss Oh, Good Rennie Night. Harlan? Yes. Is that correct? Rennie Harlan. And Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yep. So, I don't think he's a bad director. Die Hard 2. Yep, I think that was one of his first, or maybe Nightmare was. No, Die Hard 2 was 1990. Yeah, so uh, Nightmare was Nightmare like his was third early. thing. Die Hard was like his fourth thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Because <coughs> he's, I think he's Swedish or something, but he was one of those like, uh, at the time in the 80s Finish. as uh, music videos. It's, it's so funny because what did I say, Swedish or something? Because I just listened to the Best Of episode that we talked about and we were talking about the thing. Oh. We had the whole Swedish and Finnish thing where I kept saying <laughs> Both. the other one. So it, 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 some things last. And that was a John Carpenter movie, so it all ties in. To say Scandinavian podcast. Scandinavian covers all. There you go. I have to remember that one. But uh, he rose to prominence because he was a music video director, mm-hmm. much like David Fincher and uh, a lot of others uh, kind of graduated from music videos in the 80s because that's when that yeah. was huge and MTV played music. Wait, what? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was music television. Uh, of course, you, I see people get enough of that every day with the memes and all that about how the M. Remember when the M and MTV stood for music? What does it stand for now? Mucho crap. I don't know. <laughs> Mucho crap TV. I don't even know. I mean, they used to have so many music videos that they had MTV too. Yeah. And would play nothing but music videos. Yeah. So they were like, we're not playing enough music videos. Let's open up MV- MTV too and just play music videos on there. Exactly. And like, now, wait, we have too many shows. Let's put them on MTV too. <laughs> and now, if you now it's like YouTube. I mean, you have to go to YouTube for music videos. Yeah. That's where that's where that medium lives now. I mean, I don't, I don't have cable, so I don't watch MTV. But when I the last time I had cable, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw on TV a music video. Right. So, I mean, that used to be one of the highlights of my day, getting off school, watching, it wasn't TRL at that time, that's how long ago it was, but, you know, the top 10 video countdown. Right. Guns N' Roses number one, yes! And then, oh, Whitney Houston knocked Guns N' Roses off the top, this is bullshit! <laughs> Going outside, mowing grass, or some shit. But, uh, Bruce Evans, that's what they wrote, uh, produced... I bring this up simply because Michael Douglas, the actor, of course, romancing the stone, basic instinct, and gets to bang Catherine Zeta-Jones all the time because they're married. Lucky yeah. bastard. Although his father totally raped Natalie Wood. But this isn't a conspiracy podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, and starring, as I mentioned, one of my personal favorite actors and a close friend of Jesse Sedgley, Jeff Bridges. Oh, right. At one time. <laughs> yeah. As Starman. <laughs> of course, uh, Arlington Road, True Grit, Big Lebowski. Which I must say, if you haven't seen Arlington Road with Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins, mm-hmm. highest possible recommendation. Yeah, Absolutely fantastic movie. Uh, check it out. Uh, and I haven't seen this movie in a good three, four years maybe. But uh, this is the first time I got to see it in high definition, uh, 1080p and all that. So, uh, But the lovely Karen Allen, I was like, wow, she is like, I never gave her enough credit like watching it, how pretty she was in this film. And she's very pretty still uh, for her age. Uh, it's Jenny Hayden. Uh, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Scrooge, The Mom in the Sandlot, and, and uh, That Which Shall Not Be Named, the fourth Indiana Jones. Uh, and Charles Martin <laughs> Smith. Uh, it was Mark Sherman. I bring him up because he's an actor and a director. But he acted in The Untouchables with Sean Connery and Kevin Costner, was in American Graffiti. But he directed Dolphin Tale 1 and 2 and Air Bud, the thing mm. for movies with animals yes. that can do things. But he also directed a film that was requested by, I don't remember who, because I didn't look it up before the podcast, uh, but starring Gene Simmons and uh, Ozzy Osbourne from the 80s called Trick or Treat. 
which is a notoriously bad movie. That's his first directorial debut. But uh, he did a great, as an actor, uh, I remembered him from The Untouchables. That was all I really remembered him from, and this. But uh, decent actor. So uh, he made that jump, just like we talked last week about, I forget his name, but the star of Saturday the 14th right. made the jump as well. So I believe his name was Who Cares. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Uh, Robert, uh, Richard, he, this name is spelled weird. I'm just going to call it Jekyll because that's the closest thing it looks like. He was George Fox, but he's a, he's an older actor. But he was in The Dirty Dozen and the original 310 to Yuma because the Christian Bale, Russell Crowe one, is a remake in case you didn't know. If you want to look it up yourself, it's J-A-E-C-K-E-L. That's, that has to be, it's Jekyll or... Jekyll. Well, it's like that A-E or that, that <coughs> one letter. That yeah. we don't have in America. <laughs> <laughs> so however you pronounce it is fine by me. All right. I'm, and he might be dead, so... He is dead. Okay, so he doesn't care. He died in 1997. Rest in peace. Uh, just a shame. You never get to see the good Star Wars. Yeah, he was even nominated for, the, for an Oscar. Oh, really? For what? I missed that. Sometimes a great notion in 1970. Never heard of it, but hey. Paul Newman directed film. Well, that's why I got... Viewed because Paul Newman had it. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's what the only people eat salad dressing. People won't eat salad dressing and have Paul Newman's face on them. It's true. That's so I've heard. I don't He's know. He's wearing different sure. costumes now. <laughs> uh, Robert Phelan was Major Bell. He was he was in Halloween, the original. John Carpenter. Speaking of John Carpenter, uh, lots and lots of TV and two notable bit parts in this film. Uh, Ted White was the deer hunter. He's mainly a stuntman, but he was Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, Part 4. One of the better Jasons, in my opinion, before uh, Kane Hodder came along. He was also in Major League, the Nicolas Cage, Gone in 60 Seconds, and Tron. Uh, he's a lot of credits to his name, but again, mainly stunts, but or these bit characters that require some stunt work. So mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about having an actor and having a stuntman. He could do both. And uh, he had some good stories, too, in, as I mentioned before during Halloween the uh, Crystal Lake Memories, where they talk the in, really in-depth documentary on every Friday the 13th film. But uh, he's a nice guy. Like about he, how he'd want he before Kane Hodder, he wanted to bring something a little something to Jason with just the brutality of it and all that. So good guy and a veteran of the podcast, George Buck Flower as the cook. Most recently, we talked about him in Pumpkinhead, and also he's in They Live, which are the two films I wrote down that he's in. But he's he's one of those people that they pop up every now and then, little one or two lines character act bit part character actor mm. uh so yeah he's in there too a carpenter not necessarily regular but it's not the first time he would work with john carpenter jesse have you ever seen starman i have not it's a great film and oh, yeah. it holds up uh this is one that uh i saw way back in the day and then of course i fell in love with john carpenter because of his other work and it was like as i you know wow what else has he done oh yeah i've seen that i've seen oh i gotta see this wait he did starman Kind of shocked me. And then, honestly, if you look at this film, as opposed to some of his stuff, I think it's, it's telling in a couple of regards. One, like, wow, this is a John Carpenter film. Yeah. And then when you look for it, you can see it. But I th- this is a film that if you- Oh, John Carpenter, he's such a hack. No, 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 no. Shut your fucking mouth. Go watch Starman. This is a very well-directed film, I think. Uh, I think in terms of his direction, aside from... I mean, I think all this stuff's fantastic. Because, again, I'm a fanboy. Uh, just watch Halloween on Halloween. I mean, it still holds up. I mean, it's still a well-directed film. Uh, but this is a film on a scale. Of course, the thing is a huge scale. A lot of practical effects. One of the most greatest effects ever done. But it's one location. 
And also take into consideration, too, the thing is a film in one location, excuse me, with like 12 characters, and most of the time they're all in the same shot. That's a feat of directing in itself. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just a concise character piece, love story, drama, action, sci-fi, and it's a road... I mean, it, this is an E.T. movie. Right. It's the same, you know, and with more on that in the trivia, in terms of the plot and the summary, I mean, Starman comes to Earth, takes the form of her husband, who, who has died previously, and she's still not over him. You know, romance, adventure, uh, fish out of water, things ensue, and Powder totally ripped this movie off on a few scenes. Uh <laughs> According to the timeline, from what I could tell, this is one of his first film debuts where he did not write it. Yeah, and he didn't do the music either, which, uh, if you have it up on IMDb, uh, I don't remember the name of the guy who did the score for this film, but it's a great score. Uh, I will have it to you shortly. Shortly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, Starman, when the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is a good movie. I like this movie. But it wasn't one of those, it's not like a Big Trouble in Little China, or a Halloween, or a thing, or most of... Carpenter's other catalog to where very rewatchable. This is a more like memoirs of an invisible man type movie in terms of you know what you what you watch it every now and then. But this time when I was really in like paying attention to the shots and every you know more of the aspect of the job of the director working with the cinematographer and the actors and everything. Very very beautiful movie, mm. especially again first time I've ever seen it in high def. Uh, it's almost. He painted lots of pictures in here with composition of shots, almost Kubrick-esque and a little bit in uh, some a- uh, aspects of it, but nevertheless. The music was done by Jack Nietzsche, N-I-T-Z-S-C-H-E. <laughs> Why these people no, got Z? out so Did many... Did you say Z or S? Z. Okay, so he must be related to... What's his N-I-T-Z-S-C-H-E. Name? Frederick. That's a lot of word, uh, letters without vowels in between them. <laughs> That's five. T-Z-S-C-H. All right. Uh, but he did a song, probably you know him from Up Where We Belong. He wrote oh. that song. Which but, was Officer and... Was that Officer and a Gentleman, I think? Was that the big so hit So many that? things now. I oh, mean... But I think that's the one where it kind of... It's parodied a lot. Joe yeah. Cocker, wasn't it? Or was um, it Joe Cocker? Yep. Yeah, uh, he, he he's the writer of the song, but yeah, performer. Performed by... I think so. Yeah, but it wasn't an officer. In okay, because that's the big scene at the end where he's carrying her out. Yeah, but it's been played in so many things. Oh now. yeah, I mean it's it's one of those. Yep, I know that whether you've heard it or not, you know it. You've heard that the the chorus of it at least somewhere in your life. Elevator, yeah. restaurant. It's one of those. He's credited as the doing the main titles for Death Proof in 2007. However, he died in 2000. It so must have been like a, a reused piece of music. Must have been. Which yeah. makes sense because Death Proof was, and, and along with Planet Terror, was part of Grindhouse, so they wanted an older feel, so it could have been a piece of his that he wrote before, you know, that had that 70s. I haven't seen Death Proof in forever, so I don't remember the music from it. But I remember Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so sad that they had to kill him at the end. Even yeah. though he was a horrible Spoilers. person, he was just a great character. <laughs> the way he just pops up at the end, well, I had a great time. You girls have, you know, see you later. Sorry <laughs> for trying to kill you. And then they beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Poor Kurt Russell. But he was a villain. Still yeah. breaks the heart anytime he dies in a movie. But uh, yeah, Starman, it holds up uh, highest possible recommendation. Especially, you know, most people, I don't want to say most people, but you know, when I think of John Carpenter, Starman isn't the first one that comes to mind by any stretch of the imagination because of 
him redefining the horror slash slasher genre for an unintentional pun, sci-fi horror with the thing, and uh, I mean everything. He's John Carpenter is very to this day like film buffs and people who you know cult film big cult film director, but uh, so underappreciated in Hollywood because uh, he's done some of the most influential films ever. I mean, I would put it. Of course, people. Oh, are you crazy? But I put him up there with Spielberg, right next to him. Uh, under and and Carpenter writes, directs, uh, score. There's a lot of. I mean, he he can. If you need a movie made cheap, you went to John Carpenter. Yeah. And you got your money's worth. Of course, the thing didn't do well at the box office. This didn't do. I mean, it did. It probably made its money. Made a few million for him. But you know, he never had that blockbuster in a theater, and that's what separates. That's why he's not considered in the same, you know, Hall of Fame, so to speak, or whatever you want to wing of directing as Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Kubrick didn't have like blockbusters, but you know, his work speaks for itself, and I think Carpenter's definitely speaks for himself, for sports for itself, because most if you talk to a mo- person who, like people like us who enjoy movies, they're most likely enjoy John Carpenter's work, and it's just, I mean, you have Halloween. One of the greatest horror movies ever made, in my opinion, and in most critics' opinion. You have The Thing, one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made, my opinion, most other people's opinion. And then he makes stuff like Big Trouble in Little China. Completely random, yeah. off-the-wall film, but it works. Of course, obviously not for everybody. I look at the vacant seat where Daniel used to sit, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but it's just, it just kind of makes me sad because uh, he deserves more... He deserves more uh, praise from his peers because mm-hmm. he's got it from the fans because he's, I mean, he's doing tours right now for his original stuff, but also he recently released the anthology where he had two recent albums come out uh, that were John Carpenter's Lost Themes were the names of them, one and two. Great stuff, ambient music. You get, I'm listening to them and I can just imagine a type of movie that they would fit with. or oh, this would be, I could see this in a Carpenter movie. Because music was his first love. Like, that was what he started at, and then that progressed into directing. Because his dad was a musician that actually played with Roy Orbison, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, but anyway, so then the success of those albums and the tour from that led him to, with his current band, with his son and some other musicians, modern versions of a lot of his music. Inclu- I think they might have re- redid the Starman theme, too. I'd have to look at the album to double check, but I could be mistaken. He's credited in Stranger Things for music as well. Oh, really? In the worst episode. <laughs> Really? Yep. Season two, episode seven. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I guess they must have just used a piece of his. Does it say like the name of it? The or bank anything? robbery. Do you know that? That's that's he, the name of the track, or they're saying yeah. that. I have to look at his album to see. But uh, didn't know that. Awesome. Yeah. That's the best part of that episode. Yep. To me, <laughs> the fact that just that one. Yeah, that, that short moment. That, listen to that little music stinger or whatever. But yeah, you know, and this film is like proof positive. He handling, you know, Carpenter has done everything. He's done comedy, horror, sci-fi, action. Uh, of course, he's most notably known for horror because he defined the genre for a, a long time with Halloween. And I mean, the influence of Halloween is still felt today. I and mean, if you look at modern horror films, like I, you can watch a film today, and I could be like, "Yeah, this person like John Carpenter." Yeah. Or there, there's very Carpenter-esque things from in this uh, that you can see, and that's all. Because of the genius of John Carpenter, the underappreciated genius, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, 
you know, I mentioned before, like Ridley Scott was my favorite director for the longest time growing up. Blade Runner, Legend, uh, so forth. And then Alien, of course. And still, the, his early work is still phenomenal. Some of the greatest imagery ever put to sim, uh, cinema. But like as a whole, like, you know, he's fallen from grace as far as I'm concerned. Go watch Alien Covenant. Rubbish. I mean, he's making, he's just making money now. He's lost that urge to, or the desire to make good things. Uh, stuff like that, you know, so it's just like, whereas Carpenter, he made what he wanted to make. If he didn't want to make a movie, he didn't do it. If he, something attracted him to a project, he did it because he wanted to do it. Uh, now, of course, there were some things that he did later because I think Ghosts of Mars was one of them where uh, he had like, which made basically say, okay, I've finished my contract with the studio. I'm not making more studio films. I'm done with it. I don't like how I'm restricted, blah, 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 blah. And he still creates it to this day. And I think that's a testament, A, of creativity in multiple mediums, but as well as, again, you know, I'm sorry to suck your dick so hard, John Carpenter, but yeah. you're, you deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> if you show up, I will suck your dick because you're John up. Carpenter. But anyway, <laughs> but Starman, I think, is, one of, is, is not one of the first ones that come to mind when you think of him, as I was, got, was talking about before I got on the tangent. But regardless, I think in terms of the job of directing... And remember, Carpenter didn't do many studio films. Halloween was independent. Uh, I think The Thing might have been his first, if we talk, when we talked about it so long ago, might have been his first like big studio production, as in, like here's a big budget. This had a $22 million budget, and that's big for Carpenter. Maybe mm. Christine was. Maybe Christine, or no, maybe I'm forgetting the chronology. Might have been The Thing, Christine, then this. Or maybe, there's whatever the order is. But, uh, he didn't do many big budget films aside from briefly in the 80s. And then I think Vampires and Ghosts of Mars were the last ones. And then that's why you don't see movies from him anymore. And he's, he did like Masters of Horror with uh, a great one called, called Cigarette Burns with Norman Reedus. But then he, uh, he did The Ward, which it wasn't bad, but I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't, didn't have that thing. But that was like more of a direct to, di- direct to digital as it is today, mm-hmm. you know, but... His, like 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 with uh, you know Scott's early work, Carpenter was consistent for most of his career, and it, now he's making music, and it's good music. If you like anything like by Brian Eno, or I mean, I'm a big score, film score. Like I have a playlist on my phone with my favorite film scores, hmm. and he's on there a shit ton. Yeah, because uh, he deserves it. Because he knows he kn- he's uh, okay. Uh, sorry. Anyway, Starman's a great film. <laughs> the, the, the John. <laughs> I could talk about him for a long time uh, because he deserves it. But anyway, uh, as a kid, you know, I like Starman, but as an adult, because it is it is a more adult drama-driven film. Yeah, romance, so, sci-fi, it's classified. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. So the older, it, you know, as a kid, cool, Starman, cool. It's like E.T., but with, you know, Jeff Bridges. But I didn't know at the time except from Starman. So it's like, right. You know, but uh, at the old... As you watch it, you know if you if you watch this film as a kid, remember it. You need to watch it now. It's going to be completely different for you, and it's a good movie. Uh, just it's a good love story. It he doesn't get too heavy handed with anything. It just unfolds very, I'd say naturally in terms. There's no real no real jump the shark type moments except for a car crash, but I think that was just for to kind of they had to lose the government on their trail for a bit, so that was how they did it. But uh. Nevertheless, it's a, it's still good. Most of the effects hold up, and there's not really again. It's mostly practical stuff or, uh, you know, 
typical rear projection type stuff, but also uh, like there's a scene in the beginning where he's like standing outside. He's actually hanging upside down. So because his hair, like it's like the electricity fields, like right, you know, like so his hair is hanging up, and you can see the vein bulging in his forehead because <laughs> he's hanging upside down. But then you know they write him up, so he's like it looks like he's you know doing something from Dragon Ball Z or something. Yeah. While she's right, everybody's right side up, and it still looks good. You can tell he's superimposed. Right. But I mean, that's the price also of high definition for movies uh, yeah. from the 80s, which we've talked about before. But, you know, and you have to, whenever you watch these movies, when I say they hold up, I'm saying for what, when they were made. So keep that in mind uh, as well, because I want somebody to get mad. You said it held up. Well, yeah, it holds up for the time to today. You know, they didn't, nobody knew what 1080p was back then. <laughs> No. That was sci-fi back then. But anyway, uh, in the performances, Karen Allen is great in this film. Uh, I think she's... Uh, I mean, when you look at what she's done with, uh, of course, uh, I'm trying to think of her name from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's kind of, I can hear him. Andy! Marion! Marion, yeah, come to say, it begins with M. Uh, you know, she's great in that. She's a good, she's a good strong female character. Like uh, actress, I mean, in, in the things that she's been in, she was great in Scrooged. Uh, but Jeff Bridges, and rightfully so, as we get into the trivia, he got an Oscar nomination for this role. Mm-hmm. And I read that before I watched it, so I'm watching his performance. I'm watching the whole thing for the first time in this film. It's not just you know, I, I really, I truly, air quote, watched the movie this time, and uh, a new, a new appreciation for it. Having again not seen it for a few years, I've seen it. It's maybe the f- Fourth or fifth time I've seen it. I've had it in my collection for a while. Uh, maybe back in the DVD days, so to speak. But uh, let me see. Where did I... I'm looking for my notes. Oh, yeah. This is also the... And here's what I'm talking about. Underappreciating John Carpenter. The only John Carpenter film to ever have any kind of Academy Award nomination was Starman. For Jeff Bridges. Wow. For Best Actor. And this is also not just a rare instance for... A rare and only instance for John Carpenter getting the Oscar, nomina- Oscar nomination, but also where a science fiction film got an acting nomination, mm. which is exceptionally, still to this day, rare. Uh, so, I mean, in 1984, Jeff Bridges was nominated for it. Uh, however, he lost out to F. Murray Abraham for Amadeus. Uh, he was also nominated for a Golden Globe. Jeff Bridges was uh, nominated, didn't win that one. But, of course, naturally, he did win the Saturn Award, which is the sci-fi-centric awards right uh but nevertheless he was recognized for his performance in this and rightfully so it's a fantastic performance like it's even even as a kid i was sad when he leaves spoiler mm-hmm. alert sorry it's 1984 when this movie came out uh it's notable and, who he beat what's that? Uh, he beat out uh harrison ford indian jones he beat out the terminator oh for the saturn yeah for the saturn and he beat out william shatner in star trek 3 well of course he had to beat out shatner <laughs> that's why I left uh, him for last. When it said when it said Terminator, was it saying Schwarzenegger or uh, Michael yeah, Bean? No, no, no. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, I wouldn't. No. For the movie, the Terminator. But like for acting, though, is that, is that what we're yeah, talking? Yeah, about? for the nominees for that Saturn. Award. Okay, gotcha. I would have nominated him for that. I mean, it, for, ex, let me rephrase that. For for the Terminator, if I had to say right. who was the best actor in it, Michael Bean. Sure. Yeah. Like I mean, like he should have gotten a Saturn award he gotten or the, nomination for that. I should say. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of other movies that came out that year too for uh, that award, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and of course, I mean, of course, Harrison Ford too. Indiana, that was uh, Raiders. Raiders, said, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Temple of Doom. Okay, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, he's he's good in anything, but right. Yeah, I mean, but and also George Burns. Oh God, oh you God, devil. you devil! Yeah. 
I can't believe I knew that. <laughs> I can't believe you did either. That's why I left it out. Cause, cause, <laughs> like I had to think, what is a what, what would a film that he was in be cla- that would be classified possibly as a science fiction film? And that's the first there one that came go. to mind. You that or that. eighteen again, where he was an old man. I think he, <laughs> Judge Reinhold turns into him, or he turns into Judge Reinhold, or something like that. Wow. Another eighties movie. My grandmother loved George Burns, oh, so okay. that's how I knew. Oh God, you devil! And eighteen again, or whatever it is. Not a George Burns fan. Before my time. But hey, hey good, night, good night, Gracie. That's all. That's what I know George Burns from. And cigars. But yeah, uh, so some other... Uh, well, while we're talking about Jeff Bridges specifically, I'll jump around in the trivia here, so pardon me if I repeat something. But for the role, he actually studied ornithology, which is uh study of birds, and mimicked the behavior of birds to prepare for, prepare for his role as an alien human form. Uh, he particularly used the sudden jerky head movements amongst other nuances and mannerisms of birds for his Starman character. And his logic behind this was that he figured the alien would not, coming into a human form, wouldn't have human characteristics, which is a great, like, that's, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like if we were turned into the body of an ant, we'd be like, what? Yeah. I, why do, like, you know, you have to learn to walk and all that kind of stuff. So, I have good. six legs now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, what are they thinking in my face? I, you know, yeah. I can't blink. What's happening? I'll <laughs> All sorts of that's that's a body horror movie like yeah but uh let's see uh anyway and also they would act with base primitive animal instincts which again when you watch the movie again if you're re- if you're going to revisit it after this podcast like you see that you see that you know he's got the head movements like and you could tell he's trying to fi- he's phenomenal acting job absolutely fantastic performance Un- understandable because it's jeff bridges it's not Bo Bridges. It's Jeff Bridges. It's the good brother. <laughs> it's the good Bridges. Sorry, Bo. Yeah. Jeff's a whole... And sorry, Lloyd. Jeff is a whole... Like, he got all the acting talent. And more, more, so, uh, more so. My opinion. My opinion. Lloyd, Lloyd Bridges, Bridges is great. Funny. Yeah, he's great. He's a good... You know, he's... An airplane. He's, and he's sort of the... Uh, I was going to say cheap, but that's not... That's wrong. He's like, Leslie Nielsen's on a project? Get me Lloyd Bridges. Right. <laughs> so, but of course, well, well, him and Leslie Nielsen were in Airplane, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they're, I put them in the same league, although yeah. Nielsen had more to his, uh, more roles to his credit for that type of character, but Bridges was great, especially in Hot Shots. The, all of his bodily injuries mm. and such. But, uh, yeah, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but uh, his performance, fantastic. You can see it. And, you know, when you think back about other, other movies where, Aliens come to Earth in human form, uh, species, uh, <laughs> to make it relevant for what's going on in the news today with Kevin Spacey, K-Pax. Uh, you know, that's a, tr- that's a story that's been told before, so to speak. But uh, this performance is fantastic. And like, he, do- he does look like a fish out of water, much like a stranger in a strange land to keep it in the science fiction world, like with his reactions to everything and then of course he writes off powder toad with all this movie where he sees the deer on the car and goes and resurrects the deer because star man has a heart yeah uh but anyway uh the script this was interesting speaking of et earlier this script was developed uh, at columbia pictures at the same time as another script about an alien visitation i wonder which one it is uh the studio did not want to make both so the head of the studio had to pick which of these two scripts he wanted to make and he chose star wars i mean i'm sorry <laughs> that would have been a good choice. Yeah. Uh, but he picked Starman and decided uh, to let the other script go. They didn't buy it. They didn't get the option on it. Went to a rival studio. Uh, the other script was E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the yes. highest grossing film in 1984. 
I be, or yeah, well, no, that was we eighty-two look, or something, right? Yeah, of that. Yeah, because yeah. that's right. I'm sorry. Because Starman released uh, about three years after it yeah. was finished. So yeah, it was E.T. was the highest grossing film for '82 when when it came out. Uh, which so yeah, they they really messed up <laughs> by letting that script go. Uh, but after E.T. was such a huge hit, that's why Starman sat on the shelf for almost three years before they finally released it. He just felt so bad about it. That like yeah, let's just pretend this didn't happen and we'll nobody <laughs> no, never mention this again. It's like Rick Moranis and Spaceballs. Like don't ever mention this again. We'll just give me the negative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found this movie. We just finished it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I know I mean, all about movies sitting on shelves for a while. <laughs> uh, that's how I make movies. Yep. But hey, they get <laughs> off the shelf eventually. So that, that's the important part. Yeah, that's what you got to take away from it. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and you can see the similarities. I mean, it's very similar to E.T. Yeah. In like the gist of the, you know, alien on Earth pursued by the government to get back, you know, has to get back home. Uh, you know, probably made this a lot cheaper. Oh yeah, it's a carpenter film, twenty-two million. Yeah, mm, and it's a me. human, not a sock puppet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, ET appeal. ET is a kids' movie. Uh huh. Starman is not a kids' movie. Right. You know, again, I saw both as a kid. I was as a child. ET was my life for a few. You know, my two, three-year-old, four-year-old years. Uh, mm, excuse me. They should have just taken both. <laughs> yeah, just done them both. But see, that's that's one of those great what ifs. Yep. You know, if they if Columbia made E.T., who the fuck would have directed it? Yeah. Michael, but nah, Michael wasn't even around then directing. But, you know, it pro- it could not, it might not have been Spielberg. Who knows? Uh, well, no, uh, the script for E.T., wasn't that written, co-written by Spielberg and uh, Melissa uh, Harrison Ford's wife at the time? Because they wrote that while working on Raiders, if I remember Melissa, our, Mel- our previous history on the podcast. <laughs> Melissa Matheson's credit, yeah. credited as that's Harrison Ford's wife, the, the writer, time. but she's the only one credited for it. Okay, but they were working on that on the set of Raiders because we talked about yeah on either the ET episode or the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, <laughs> many a hundred and ninety something episodes ago, whenever those were. So memories just pop in from time to time. Mm. But yeah, uh, but as an adult, you know, I still like ET. ET's still a great film. Don't get me wrong. Go listen to our episode on that. Just don't watch the special edition version. Uh, with the uh, CGET, because that ruins the entire movie, at least for me. But anyway, uh, but Starman, as an as an adult film, a uh, mature driven character driven film, works phenomenal. Still holds up. It's no ET. Don't I don't I don't want to hear somebody yelling at me through the radio, or you know whatever device you're listening to us on. Yeah. Uh, but it's it. I put it up there with it. You know, it's, is it better than ET? No, it's not. ET is. Still amazing. Again, as long as you don't watch the, the special edition. But Starman is worthy in a list of best, you know, non-hostile alien film characters. Uh, I would fight for that. You know, it could be number two, as far as I'm concerned. Off the top of my head, Mac and me haven't seen it in 20 years. I don't know if it holds up. Uh, trying to think of other <laughs> alien come. Now there, there's one film that I have tried to find. I've looked and I, I never think to look on YouTube, even though like it, it always ends up where just like oh, it's on YouTube, full movie. But uh, Space Invaders. From the nineties, Spaced invaders. It was some cool hip aliens crash on Earth, but then they got to get back. But they're like typical Martian. It was one of those nineties. It's on YouTube. Figure, see that it just never strikes me because I'm just so like, there's got to be a <clears throat> torrent for this, or Amazon has to have it, or somebody has to have. Oh, I can't find it. Full movie is on YouTube. Yeah, they're like four feet high. Yeah, green. 
typical There's alien. a guy in a chicken suit running around or duck suit. Don't remember that because I haven't seen it in forever, which is why I want to see it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because uh, and remember, you know, Spielberg was a big proponent of like I'll, I won't. He, I think he was quoted as saying, "I'm not going to make a hostile alien film because all you know, aliens are always evil or whatever." But then he makes War of the Worlds, <sighs> uh, which it's hard to think of right. movies where that are actually nice. Yeah, they're they're few and far between because Superman. Yeah, that's exactly right. Of course, I mean, you want to break it down to the base level of what it is, and yeah. it's an alien. You know, people forget that, and of course, in the movies, Thor is technically an alien. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who else is an alien? But uh, you know, if it's that friendly one. I mean, there there is a lot of them out there, which that's one you got to think about, like uh, Alf, uh, non-hostile aliens. Those just tend not to be the better movies for the most yeah, part. Yeah, that's true. Howard uh, the Duck. Yeah, hey, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, <laughs> the ones that aren't the better movies, except if you watched it a lot as a child and have fond memories of it. Because, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, it's, it sells more tickets, and it's a more interesting story to me, personally, right. and, and historically, when the aliens are trying to eat us. Yeah. Alien, the entire Alien franchise, Predator. You know, those, not a dime a dozen, but, I mean, they're, those are the ones... That you yeah, like Predator. <laughs> the mean aliens. Yep. Just nice. V. V and V V the miniseries was great because they come in peace. Right. But they don't. So you think. <laughs> See that 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 was such a good like we're gonna have to one day I'm gonna have to watch the entire miniseries and do that one. Yeah. Because that that was something as a kid that really A terrified me and but also was like incredibly influential in terms of just like that's so great. That was the first time I saw Robert Unglund uh, in V. Uh, or, uh, let me say, rephrase that. Like, that was the first time I saw him before I knew that was Freddy Krueger. Right. Put it to you that way. Uh, so that's something down the road I'll have to put on the to-do list. But uh, rounding out the other uh, trivia for Starman. Coneheads. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but see, the, you know, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> Coneheads, like, when that movie came out, I did not like it. I was like, this is not funny. Right. I want to go watch Wayne's World again. <laughs> but revisiting it on, you know, 90s revisited, the little micro segments we tend to have on this show. Yeah. Uh, it actually is a lot funnier than I ever gave it credit for back in the day when it came out. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's see. I already talked about that's Jeff Bridges' special effect. Oh, according to Carpenter on the audio commentary for Big Trouble in Little China, the main reason he directed Starman was due to the box office disaster of the thing, which hurts me to say because why? How did that, this move, the, the thing not, uh, whatever. But uh, he, he did it, he, he needed to make, he felt he needed to make a movie in his career that was totally and completely the opposite of the thing to ensure his employment in Hollywood. Wow. So, but he made a damn good movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a fantastic film. And proved to, you know, oh, Carpenter, again, he's a hack, he just makes horror and sci-fi, anybody can do that, blah, blah, blah. No, go watch Starman. It is sci-fi, but it is a romance, drama before that, I'd say. I mean, they had he had to be a name at the time. It's it's sad that he feels that way because they put his name on the freaking cover all the time. Well, that's also something in his contract. Oh, it is. That yeah, like, that's right. You did mention that in Halloween. Like he's like when they offered him Halloween, he's like he wanted two things: his name above the title, and mm-hmm. I forget there was two stipulations, but that was one of them. But that's why yeah. you know it's John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, and he was. I think he, that's a genius idea. Yeah, because then it's like oh you then you know. It's not like, oh, who directed that? Oh, John Carpenter. Oh, John Carpenter's the thing. Now, of course, it wasn't on Starman. 
uh, I think it was in front of Christine, or at least on the advertising stuff, maybe not. I mean, on the images on um, IMDb, yeah, they all say John Carpenter's Starman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's something he maintained even on his bigger budget stuff. Except on the foreign posters, they don't say it. Mm. Because uh, they couldn't pronounce it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it meant something offensive in the right. language. Ah, yeah. oh, you carpenter! <laughs> Carpentera! Whatever, I don't know. Uh, the crater in the climax of the film is uh, is a uh, is actual crater uh, located just outside of Winslow, Arizona, which every time I hear that, it just makes me think of the eagles. Yep. Standing outside of Winslow, Arizona. Uh, according, to the nation- according to the National... According to National Geographic... Uh, the site is one mile wide, 570 feet deep, and about 49,000 years old. Wow. Yet, that's not the one that killed the dinosaurs. So we know. Because it's only 49,000 <laughs> years old, that's why, and not millions of years old. Right. But anyway, uh, Jeff Bridges was considered uh, for Carpenter's earlier work, and I didn't know this, but for The Thing and for Escape from New York. He was considered to play both R.J. McCready and Snake Plissken, respectively, but thankfully... The parts went to Kurt Russell, and I added that thankfully, myself, who Carpenter was good <laughs> friends with. And of course, and Bridges and Carpenter are still friends to this day after working on this film. Now, no offense to Jeff Bridges, but Snake, I can't see him in those roles. I could see him more in The Thing, being that character, but I cannot see him as Snake Plissken. That's just, I just, would I like to see that movie? Absolutely. But it's you can't. It's Kurt Russell. Sorry, in discussion. <laughs> From as far as I'm concerned, and that's an, and Kurt, me and my Autumn were talking about this too. Kurt Russell, you know, and John Carpenter. It, it's so funny how they work together so much, and they're, they're they're fantastic friends. As I mentioned before, if you ever get any of their any of the Blu-rays or deep or any of the movies that they're in together, they usually have commentary tracks, and their commentaries are fantastic. Uh, it's just like you're having a, sitting in a room listening to everybody's having a beer, talking about all sorts of crazy stuff, uh, but. Kurt Russell, is, to me, is almost the actor version of John Carpenter. Everybody knows him, well-respected, right. but never got that next-level step in their career. And Kurt Russell is a phenomenal actor. Go watch The Hateful Eight. Go watch Bone Tomahawk for his recent work. I know he's in The Fast and the Furious, <laughs> what, uh, whatever parts, but you know, so, so is Charlize, the so I mean, that's a paycheck. Furious uh, 7. But Kurt Russell, like again, he's the acting version of John Carpenter, underappreciated in my opinion. But you, everybody fucking knows him. His oh, latest, yeah, Kurt Russell. His latest in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, now he is. <laughs> with, you know, I mean, honestly, he's he's probably more. Uh, I ain't gonna say well known, but I guess more people know him now because he's gotten more high profile. Let me get my tongue out. Okay, my mouth's working now. <laughs> he is more high profile now than he's probably been since the. Maybe ever, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because Bone Tomahawk was a critical success and a big, like, word-of-mouth film. Hateful Eight, Tarantino, obviously. Fast and the Furious, making billions of dollars worldwide, and he's been in three or four of them, however many, I think since five, maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to claim to know anything about that franchise <laughs> on air. Uh, and then, of course, now he's got that Marvel money. Although he won't be in any other Marvel films. <laughs> I wish they would have kept him for a better character that would right. have a recurring role. But uh, huh. but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, you know, everybody knows him now. Yeah. Um, well, that stuff. Arguably, he's... Because, I mean, again, The Thing wasn't a big box office hit. It's a cult classic. Yeah. Deservedly so being a classic, but it's a shame that 
that this uh, in, any of Carpenter or Russell's work, aside from like the aforementioned blockbuster stuff, lately is appreciated. Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't know this either, but it makes perfect sense in hindsight. Uh, you see a lot of blatant Coke advertisements in this film to where they walk in, there's the Coke machine in the background, like mm. in frame, like not in frame, it's in frame, but not, I'm not saying Carpenter did it, but it, the set decorator obviously was told to put this there by Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola actually at this time owned Columbia Pictures. Oh, snap. Which is why uh, the Ghostbuster VHS, the Batman VHS, all had Coke commercials in front of them oh, on the VHS. Boy. And I remember the Batman Diet Coke commercial still. Hello, sir. Alfred talking on the phone. I have a Diet Coke for you. And then the Coke has a Batman cape on it. And, you know, because Coca-Cola owned Columbia <laughs> Pictures. I did not know this. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. So if you ever see a, he- uh, a movie that's really heavy in the Coke advertisement, <laughs> especially back in the 80s, probably a Columbia film. Huh. Uh, and this was interesting, too, uh, in terms of, again, directing. And when, you, when you're directing something, uh, I'll go back to the thing, because Carpenter had a tiny room with 12 people who are all talking and have to be shown. That is a directing nightmare. Yeah. Like, block it, everything. Like, okay, I have to have this for this and like making everything work that is a skilled director to 12 people however many are in the thing i'm just i think it's gotta be 10 or 12 yeah i mean of course they start getting picked off uh but uh you know there there are scenes where it's they're all in the room a room this size that we're broadcasting which y'all can't see but y'all seen the thing i'm sure you know what i'm talking about but anyway uh in terms of the logistics of starman according to uh the co-producer barry bernardi there are some amazing things about this a quote Amazing things about this film. Uh, the finale had 16 helicopters airborne over the crater all at once. Uh, they actually had to stage a forest fire in Tennessee to create the effect of the crashed alien ship. And the roadblock scene in Nevada required closing the interstate for three days to film all that. Hmm. So uh, they couldn't get away with that now. Close the interstate for an hour and you got ridiculousness. I don't know. Depends how desperate they are for film to come well, to their hey, state. Right money. Right. And this is the interstate in Nevada, so I'm sure there's... I mean, Baton Rouge has closed interstates for film. You know, well, Dukes of Hazzard, whenever yeah, they film. Or Obama or Trump or... Right, right. Which are the VPs that come to town and... Yeah, when it comes to political... Destroy that's our thing, interstates but... <laughs> for that day. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You don't go out on those days. But I'm sure this wasn't a... I would imagine this was one of those, like, doesn't get a lot of traffic, easily detourable areas. Sure. Uh, and we haven't had this in a while on the podcast, but what if other people considered for the role of Starman? Tom Cruise. Mm. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> Skinny and Tom Cruise. <laughs> 84 Tom Cruise. Yeah, 84. But he, didn't, he didn't do it because he was busy working on Legend. So he did a better role for him yeah. than this film. Because for this film to work, you needed a very good actor. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I love you. I'm a Tom Cruise fan, but... He doesn't. This isn't. A, this one. This is not a Tom Cruise movie. Speaking of another actor I like, but who would not have been good in this role, who was heavily considered before Bridges, Kevin Bacon. Ah. And if you want to hear a love song for Kevin Bacon, check out. <laughs> is it on Law Town or is it under Shylight or? It's under one of those. Probably Shylight. Uh, 
Yeah, just Search. type in Kevin Bacon. World, what would the world be like without Kevin Bacon? Is that the full name? Kevin Bacon music video will get you there, probably. Okay, gotcha. Look for that and see something Jesse and our good friend Matt put together a while back. That's absolutely hilarious. A different side of Jesse you might never seen before. But uh, yeah, so can't see Kevin Bacon as Starman. Love you in Tremors. Love you in Hollow Man. Death Sentence. But this would not have been... He would have just played it. No offense to him. But he would have, it, would, it would have just been Kevin Bacon... Or in Tom Cruise's case, it would have just been those typical performances by them sitting in a car. I'm an, I'm an alien, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Bridges, I really think, because he is a actor, for lack of a better word, but uh, he put some thought into the character and made it... You know, None of these other actors would have been nominated for an Oscar for it. I, can, I think I can safely say that. But Bridges, absolutely. What a, a great choice that fit this project. You know, that was a missing piece of this puzzle that made this film endearing. Very endearing. Uh, it also spawned a TV series in 86, and as of April 2016, Sean Levy, of Stranger Things fame, uh, in terms of producing and directing a few episodes, has announced a remake. So we'll see. I mean, it's right for a sequel. Don't need a remake. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, she's on Earth pregnant with his child. So that's a, you know, hey, let's make a sequel. Like they did with The Thing, which was a pre- uh, the, the recent thing with Mary, the lovely... Mary Elizabeth Winstead and the very talented and underrated Joel Edgerton uh, was a prequel and would have been a lot better if they just would have used practical effects. But they chose to go the CG route and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> fill up that. So yeah, possible Starman remake in the, on the horizon or at least in talks. Script might be being worked on. Who knows? Uh, Score-wise, I would give this an 8.5 to, today, uh, which is higher than I would give it back in the day. Uh, I think this is a very good alien romance film not that that's a, a big genre itself but this is a very well done film on all aspects of production and made in 84 30 plus years ago watching it today aside from just i would say two shots looks like it was made yesterday for the mm. most part aside from the fact that karen allen's very young and so is jeff bridges not a gray hair on either of their heads uh so yeah uh i reckon if you haven't seen it highest possible recommendation it's a good one uh not for your kid, you know. This isn't one you're like, hey kids, watch this old movie from the '80s that you know. Uh, nah, they, they'll probably be bored. Let them show them ET. But you know, if you're looking for something a little, little uh, nicer, a little more thought-provoking, emotive, can't go wrong with Star Man. Highly recommend it. Uh, back to the Future this week. Uh, I recently there this what's the Saturday, two days ago saw Murder on the Orient Express, a remake, and we know mm-hmm. how I feel about remakes. However, I had never seen the original '74. Or read the book, or knew the story, but I—it's something I've heard of. I've always heard of, you know, Hercule Poirot, the you know Agatha Christie's great detective. Right. Never read a damn book, but I've heard because it's a famous literary character. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, if I'm going to watch a movie about a detective, I'll go the Sherlock Holmes route, first choice, because I'm familiar with that character. But this film was actually really good. No, oh, I enjoy. Good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I guess I won't say any. I, I can't say too much about it because spoilers, obviously. Bless you. Uh, And thank you to whoever said that while listening out of reflex. (laughs) I appreciate uh, it. Anyway. uh, (laughs) uh, Don't want to give away too much because if you have, again, I never saw it before. So I was, you know. It's on my list. I was being a detective trying to, as watching it. One of these days I'll make it out to a theater. (laughs) <laughs> but it's definitely worth watching. Not necessarily at a theater, but it's one I would recommend. Like, oh, if you're interested in it, it's got a great cast. Yeah. Uh, in fact, 
I don't even want to say this because that's kind of leading. Okay. Don't say it. There are a couple. There are there's a performance in this movie that I think deserves a best supporting at uh, best supporting person nomination. <laughs> Put it to you that way. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, he's the Hercule Poirot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he also directed it. He's I, I I'm a fan of his directing aside from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein because I think they went a little over the top with it. Uh, that was actually that was more like a script thing. So his directing's fine. I take that back. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm a fan of his work. Uh, I think he's a good director. He's a good actor. Uh, and I, got, I mentioned earlier, I'm a score person. After this movie, I downloaded the score. Mm-hmm. It's a great, uh, great music in this film. But again, uh, the directing, the acting, well done for a, a very big cast. Defoe, uh, Depp, uh, Daisy Ridley's in it looking gorgeous. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, gorgeous as always, although it hurts a little when they show her close up. And she's like, oh, she's... She's not young anymore. Who? Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of oh, I forget the guy's name, but he's in a shit ton of st- a lot of you'll you'll recognize nearly every person in this film. Uh, I know I'm missing some a couple of people, but uh, fantastic film. Uh, and also, it was this was a nice breath of fresh air from superhero movies or yes, you know, colorful blockbusters. You know, I think that was because when ever since I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, I've never seen the original. That I got to see it because of that cast, but the more I was thinking about it, like I just haven't seen anything in a theater that hasn't been, you know, science fiction blockbuster. Block, you know, yeah. aside from Blade Runner, which you know is a flop <laughs> financially, right? Uh, just you know, like father, like son, so to speak. But uh, you know, uh, so I, I I enjoyed this entire movie. Like I was sitting there, like you know, armchair detective the whole time, like hmm 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 hmm. <laughs> uh, so again, if you haven't seen it or you know or read the book, don't look up anything. Go into it blank, and you want you know because I that's I went into it fresh, just knowing. I know it's a famous movie before. It's been a movie before. It's a famous book. Loved every second of it. Definitely worth seeing. Uh, I feel like I've oh no, I talked about that last week, Valerian. Yeah, so that was the last time. So yeah, that's it. Anything new on your end? Oh boy. Just no. work as usual. Yeah, just work as usual. <laughs> Nothing uh, wrong with that. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, not next episode, because we're recording that in a few minutes, but uh, Justice League comes out next week. So episode after next, I already got my tickets. We'll talk about that then. Uh, next episode will come out on time. The episode after that might be a few days late. My parents are coming in town, and they're only in town for a short period because they're selling their bed and breakfast. So they're coming in to take care of some stuff here, and then shooting back out about a week and a half or so. So it's going to be a whirlwind while they're in because I own a family business, so we got some things to do, planning type stuff. Mm. So I apologize if the episode after next is late, but uh, more on that next uh, week for y'all when we talk about it. Uh, but as usual, I feel like I'm just missing something mm. that, uh, in terms of the Back to the Future segment, but I guess not. So yeah, anyway... Uh, 80s Risen at gmail.com yeah, that's, if you find out what we missed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 80s. Us, S. I can't believe you didn't talk about this. You should be talking about this. Uh, but hit us up uh, on an email uh, at Twitter, which we don't use, <laughs> but it's there. Uh, you can at use 80s it Risen. if you use it. Yeah. The more tweets that I miss, the, oh, shit, a lot of people are talking to us on Twitter. I, I, that'll, that will light a fire under me. Yeah. Sorry, Ben, you tweet us a lot, but I got, I, I'm the type of person I got to have more. To, be, to keep my attention. Uh, but anyway, uh, like Jester said, at awesomepods on Facebook, 
Twitter at 80s Revisited as well. Uh, shout outs, Now vs. Nostalgia, John and James, and of course our good friend Ben Wyatt, the Tasmanian Devil with the Asia Mania podcast. And we got an email that I would like to read, and I must say thank everybody for the emails. We also got another one, but I'll save that one for next episode, uh, because that way somebody will listen then. Anyway, it's all a marketing technique, but uh, we got a lot of new listeners lately, which is always awesome. Uh, so and this is actually a, a local buy, uh, local buy, excuse me, like local guy here uh, in Gretna, but uh, Sean Bear, he says, hey guys, huge fan here in Gretna, LA. I never considered listening to podcasts before until the beginning of this year. I usually listen to NPR or a little talk radio on my way to and from work in the morning. Whenever all the political garbage of Trump being elected and the taking down of the monuments in New Orleans ramped up, I found myself hating turning on the radio and dreading the commute to and from work. Amen, brother. Uh, <laughs> not to mention the yeah. general terrible state of world affairs. Second amen. Grasping at straws. I feel like I should like... I feel like you should read this in your with your acting ability, Jesse. Sure. Uh, grasping at straws, I started listening to YouTube channels or streaming music, and I was tearing up my data on my phone. So that was a no-go long-term. So I decided to check out podcasts. I somehow stumbled upon your channel first, and I haven't looked back since. Oh, feels so good. Oh, yes, Sean. Yeah, tell us more about It'll your It'll be story. a while before he hears this. If he started <laughs> if episode he started one. Over. Yeah, that's why I actually responded to an email, which we know, if you send us an email, unless like I see that you're working your way through them from the beginning, mm-hmm. we usually don't respond on the email because I like to talk to you, read the email first here and like, you know, have a fresh take on it. And we talk, yeah, me and yeah. Jesse talk, you know, it's like, so it's, that's like we're talking to you. Uh, just, to me, it makes it more personal. Sure. Uh, but anyway, I've listened to most of your entire collection so far, and it has made my commute to and from work fucking awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, always appreciate that, uh, both of us, greatly. Now, having been born in the early 80s, with the exception of a few films that I haven't heard of before, I can relate to everything you talk about, especially since you live in the same general area as me. I lived in Baton Rouge for about eight years while in school and work, and I've been to Inga's many, many times. Uh, you talk about the old Tinseltown Theater, which I used to frequent because it was, it was always a ghost town. Uh, it really is now. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> the ghost theater. Uh, well, while I was at my childhood prime in the early 90s, the 80s was a very memorable time for me. Praying to the skies for a 90s revisited from you guys. I can't stand the <laughs> 90s podcast guy. Wait, that's why you get, you get little hints of it every now and then. Yeah. We bring something up that in the meantime. Sense. But hey, I mean, eventually we're going to run out of movies I want to talk about in the 80s. We, me and Jesse have talked about that, but we don't know how many episodes in the future that is. Yep. Could be another 400. I don't know. Uh, Not to scare you, but uh, or scare Jesse. <laughs> I enjoy the hell out of the show and tell everyone about it. Thank you again. I found myself rewatching the movies after I hear you talk about them on the cast. Most recently, I rewatched Clue and it was better than I remembered. Oh, so he's got up. That was 185, wasn't it? Yeah, that was recent. Very recent. Uh, My girlfriend, Hugh and me, and just (laughs) didn't get it. She was born in 90. Hey, hey, girlfriend, that's right. Ex girlfriend, she failed the Clue test. Hit the bricks. (laughs) Hit the bricks. Hit the brakes, You can't appreciate that movie just because of Tim Curry alone. She ain't worth it, bro. Uh, Just kidding, in all hindsight. Uh, You know, like we've talked about before, you know, 80s movies, they're obviously not for everybody. I mean, no decade is obviously for everybody, but there are some gems in there that can definitely tell you a lot about a person. I judge, like the meme says, I can judge somebody pretty accurately based on where they know Tim Curry from. uh, can't tell you exactly my favorite episode. I'm halfway through Gremlins right now and finished the Back to the Future series last week. I went to email you in September to see if you would consider reviewing a horror film called The Gate. It was the most terrifying movie to me in my childhood aside from Cujo, but I think it still holds up as an 80s cult movie that few have heard of, oddly enough. I responded to him in an email, but uh, as on here, that was a film, I've seen it before, a long time ago, 
but the cover scared me because and it's a great cover it's yeah that it's art. written and like it's like it. written like it's a hole in the ground but then it's got the hands coming up with the red eyes i'm like i was like oh that's creepy yeah, as a yeah. kid terrified me just back the when cover. they used to make the covers like almost Art- looks like it's pencil drawn yeah it, it was like a that. really cool cover i mean I, the second he said the gate I immediately that popped in my head uh, anyway, I know you guys probably have trillions of fan emails to sort through. Uh, it, it's mainly just You'd be surprised. <laughs> it's mainly just women send us underwear and some men do too. You know, so photos of underwear. You know, dick pics, all that stuff. So it, never feel like you know you're inconveniencing us, Sean, at right. any time. Uh, cheers, fellas! Thanks for changing the way I look at my commute. Never stop podcasting. Eighties nostalgia is legit, Sean. Again, we appreciate it. That's a great email. Glad you know. Again, we don't do this for any other reason than I like to hear the sound of my own voice. And my <laughs> wife would probably divorce me if I talked to her like I talk here about my love for certain movies that we cover. <laughs> because, you know, especially growing up in the 80s, and I think this strikes chord with Sean and a lot of our other listeners and people in our demographic, is that back then, in that time frame, because depending on when you were born, now there's a new term now. We're, not, we're no longer Gen Xers or Millennials. We're Zennials. Is like the is new, that the new fact. That's the new like buzzword for kind of roughly, definitely me being born in eighty, but that kind of refers to the people. You know, I've kind of talked about this on the, the podcast. Micro generation between Gen X and millennials. Yeah, because huh. you know Gen Xers like my wife's mother, you know, don't know how to fix their DVD player or whatever, or handle yeah. things on social media or modern technology. But they they grew up. Totally without it. Whereas my our generation, it's broader than any any study is going to say the numbers for. Like this this year to this year. Don't get me wrong, but we know what it was like to live in the Stranger Things world, where we didn't have this technology. And the, like we, we we kind of t- I touched on this uh, an episode or two ago, whenever it was. But uh, and but the media and the films of the '80s, mainly because that's when I was born. Yeah. But I mean, I've gone back and watched a lot of '70s movies and '60s movies and all that. But you know, is it bias? Is it nostalgia? Maybe, but in my self-examination or journey of self-discovery through the films that, you know, a lot some of the films we talked about here I didn't see in the '80s as I was talking about before, but are some of my favorite films. If I had to make a list, in fact, some of the groups that I'm on in on Facebook, like people will put po- or they'll pick somebody in the group to po- post their top 50 movies. I've never made a top 50 movie list. That would be. Even, you know, 50 would not be as bad, but like top 10 or something. Oh, shit, this has to be. Oh, wait, this has to be. I can't leave Jaws off. I mean, this right, has, right. that is almost like, you know, so anytime somebody says, what's your favorite movie? I said, well, right now I can tell you a couple of my favorite movies that would definitely be in my top 10 with blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's a hard thing to me. So like when anybody tells me their favorite movie, I never, I don't, you know, unless you say Joe Dirt, I'm not going <laughs> to judge you. I mean, I'll, I would definitely judge you at that moment. But, I mean, movies are subjective and all that. But what I'm getting at is that the films of the 80s, if you look at cinema as a whole, the 80s were, I mean, the 70s were very dark and gritty in terms of cinema. Godfather, Rise of Scorsese, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Great, fantastic films. And you, you had all sides, but in the 80s, to me, that's when film just exploded. A, uh, advances in technology, which at that point were slow advances, you know, more so the practical effects the work of Rick Baker, Rob Botan, all that kind of stuff, and sci-fi and action movies and all that. It was on the rise with learning how to do things, making things seem more real as opposed to, obviously, Humphrey Bogart is sitting in front of a screen that's on a treadmill, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, Psycho, Untouchable, fantastic. You know, there's, um, there's plenty of examples. All I'm getting at is that the 80s, if you look at film as a whole, leading up in the 80s, I think more so in terms of film, more so than any other decade led up to the modern state of film. I think film evolved the most in the 80s. Personal opinion. Uh, again, is it tainted by nostalgia? I've, you know, I've really kind of analyzed that in myself. Like, you know, I, I mean, certain films are, but if you look at all, if you took a list of just some of the, the greatest films, like subjectively, like even though I don't, E.T., I loved it as a kid. It, today, it's not one of my favorite movies, but I, I still love it. It's still a fantastic film, but I would reckon, you know, I recognize it as being one of the most important films ever made. Uh, I'm trying to think of a bad film or a film that I don't like but is really good. Uh, a recent example, Moonlight. Fantastic film. Amazing film. Highly deserved best picture in my opinion, but it's an important film, but I'll never watch it again. A lot of those Oscar winners do that. Most of them. That's just kind of the way it is, yeah. it seems. Uh, that's Actually, that's not a good example of what I'm trying to get at. But I mean, you know, uh, I can't think of one offhand and I'm just drawing on and on. But anyway, <laughs> I think, you know, 80s nostalgia, like Sean said, is legit, but I think it, it's it's legit because things were, in a lot of ways, better. But also, just you know, going to the movies was an experience in the 80s, as we'll talk about next week. Which, by the way, next week's episode, we finally reached that point. It is my top 10 films of 1986, the big one, uh, the big year in 80s cinema. Uh, which I'll talk obviously more about that then. But I mean, it's just when you look back, when I look back, look when you. Genre-defining films, even just films mm-hmm. that change the way movies were made. Just look, I look to the like the examples that come to mind are the '80s. A, yes, I do a podcast on it. B, I grew up in the '80s, but also, I mean, just look at the progression of film. You have the '80s, amazing effects. Most of them, a lot of them still hold up. Granted, some don't. Then you look at the '90s. It's so much harder to find '90s films that hold up to today. Sure. Than finding. 80s ones and honestly let's let's be honest a lot of that is the rise of cg you know i can anytime i I still hold jurassic park like i've said before as a pinnacle like to this day if the effects cg doesn't look as good as jurassic park is garbage like there's no excuse for this film to come out yeah in my opinion like they they did it better then how can you not do this and it's cheaper uh i don't even know because it happens all the time though yeah Yeah. i mean I think it's just you know at that point they had to, they have stuff they had stuff to prove yeah you know and it, that's just like with hungry directors Ridley Scott I'll use some example again when he was not what he is today sitting a fat cat sitting on a hill of money he had to earn it he had to make that uh, he had to prove that he was a director that was worthy of getting these jobs et cetera et cetera yeah. Spielberg too uh, Jaws that if if that film wasn't good we wouldn't even know who the fuck he was or yeah. is. He would have been a flash in the pan, or not even a flash. It would have just been, oh, that, sh- that stupid shark movie. <laughs> There's a reason that Jaws is one of the it would that would absolutely be a top ten movie. For I can tell you without doubt, in my top ten, Jaws would be in there. Like un, like that is that is unmovable, whatever. But uh, he made a movie about a giant shark that kills people. You know, it's a it's a slasher movie almost. You know, I mean, but it is one of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion. There's a reason that no other movie can, as we talked about before, can even touch the caudal fin of Jaws. Yeah. No sequel of Jaws could. No shark movie that can do that. And that's like we said before, we talked about on the podcast, like that, 
you can never remake Jaws. I wish I could go into the future a million years and see the, the poor soul who was given the job to try to do it. Oh, we can make this better now. No, you can't. I don't like. He just remade it shot for shot. I mean, <laughs> you know, like Gus Van Zandt remaking Psycho. Like, yeah, like shot. Why? I'm face palming. You can't. I'm doing the Captain Picard. <laughs> if you're gonna remake a film, why would you do a shot for shot remake? What is even the point of that? To make it HD. <laughs> I guess maybe. There's there, like no. If you're gonna remake it, at least no. Of course, we know how I feel about remakes. Speaking of remakes. And talking about 80s in cinema, look at, we, uh, they, I talked about this on podcast before, uh, look at remakes made in the 80s. They're damn good. The Fly, The Thing. Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Better, leagues better than their originals. Remakes today? Yeah. Dama a dozen and one out of the 12 will be good. Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, it's a remake. Again, I... I haven't. Seen, I actually, I have the original downloaded to watch to right. to see like how they handled it back then. But the original's got Sean Connery, Michael York, uh, not Alfred Molina, but uh, the Big Fish Dad. I can see it. Albert Finney, I believe is his name. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Bacall, uh, big names for then for '74. Yeah. Uh, so it's all you know. It was sort of an event film then. It's an a, a, you know. It's a big character driven movie now. Yeah, lots of people. Uh, you know, so, but anyway, all I'm getting at is that, yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right, Sean. 80s nostalgia is legit, but I think it is deserved. I think the 80s was a decade, A, whose ramifications are still being felt in almost every aspect of society, uh, politically, you know, things that our government did in the 80s are still be shockwaves to today when Iran Contra, all sorts of political stuff. This is a political podcast. Uh, That's what he's trying to avoid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, just uh, triggered, triggered. <laughs> Calm down, Sean. Back to the movies. Back to the movies. Uh, yeah, you know. So it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of droning on and on. I'm kind of on a soapbox right now. So let me step down. But uh, it's, it's. You're right. I mean, they, the 80s. I think I can honestly say, without bias or nostalgia, that my favorite decade was the 80s. And you're gonna get, you're gonna get a lot of this now from people who were never had nothing to do with the 80s. Not saying, I'm not saying, oh, you were born in 2001? Oh, you think you know the 80s? I'm not that type of person. If I come off like that, I'm not saying that. Because I love the fucking Beatles. Yeah. That, they didn't make music while I was alive as a group. Right. Led Zeppelin didn't either. You know, I'm not saying you can't appreciate the past. But uh, when, speaking of Spielberg, when Ready Player One comes out, everybody's, there's going to be a huge wave of 80s nostalgia. Not that there isn't already one, we're in the, maybe, uh, we're going to be at the peak of it then. Mm-hmm. I think we're still riding it now, like with movie remakes, music remakes, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Stranger Things, obviously one of the the biggest show TV shows, is eighty centric. Uh, the Goldbergs, uh, our friend John Nowers Nostalgia, the one of the, you know he's uh, that's a takes place in the eighties. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised you don't watch that. It's just, I got to start. Once I start, I'll, I'll probably won't be able to quit. I did watch that episode. I don't know if I told you about the dad, grandpa with Optimus Prime. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> I don't it, think you told me. I, well, I did. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was great. Like, oh. The whole, sh- the whole show is great. I mean, they always hit on a particular moment, and they don't like to say when in the 80s. They always say in the 80s yeah. or 1980 something <laughs> is what they always say at the beginning of the episodes. And mm-hmm. so they can really cover it. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my Hulu queue, whatever watch list. Excuse me, it's not a queue. Yeah, Hulu just bugs me the way they have that set up. Like I go to watch a new episode of South Park, 
I just watched the last one yeah. a, a couple weeks ago, and it's at the tail fucking end of my watch. It's like, it's quicker for me to search South oh, Park. Oh, you use a remote? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I just uh, sort it by recently added, and then it nah, moves that's, it to the front. That's, that's probably a way to do it. I watch it on my smart TV, so there's, there's probably a way. But <laughs> Netflix is like, oh, you know, because we have a TV in the bedroom, have a TV in the living room. Let's go to bed. Power off on the TV in the living room. Go to the bedroom. Turn it on. Netflix. Resume. Boom. Yeah. Hulu, it's like, why can't you remember what I was... Like, it's like it's delayed, like, days. I know. It's aggravating. In the rant there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but anyway, with Ready Player One, because, like, what does he, the, the kid say in the trailer? I was born in 2000-whatever, but I right. wish I was born in the 80s. Yeah. You know? Now, granted, when I watch that movie, I might have tears streaming down my face when I see <laughs> Freddy Krueger and the DeLorean and... I'm sure E.T. is going to show up because it's well, a Spielberg property. We saw what happened to Freddy Krueger in the trailer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> you know, so that movie's going to mean... Yeah, it's awesome that younger people who have, you know, when who, when they think of the 80s, are erroneously thinking of the 90s. Right. First of all, wow. Say by the Bell came out in 89, and all that fashion you see there is early 90s fashion. Yeah. And all that stuff, that's early 90s. Uh, just because Say by the Bell had a couple episodes in 89 doesn't mean that's a representation of the 80s. I see all these, I talked about it before, I've seen all these pictures like 80s, 90s, like why are you dressed in neon from the fucking 90s? Yeah. <laughs> Deuce, Google 80s fashion. There were worse things than that, but neon was not one of the big ones. Uh, anyway, uh, so with, with Ready Player One, you're going to see a lot of that coming up, especially once that hits. Now, when, when we watch it, it's going to mean something a little bit more to us. But, you know, younger kids watching it, they're going to be like, whoa. And hopefully that leads them, A, to this podcast, <laughs> and B, to the, so the next generation of filmmakers, musicians, all sorts, creativity in general, will go back to what I would consider the greatest decade in terms of entertainment it's, a, it's an argument that can be made, put it to you that way. I'm not an expert because I, re- I haven't done 90s revisited to delve into everything in the 90s like we've done in the 80s. But, you know, and everybody can say like, oh, like my mom, oh, I grew up in the 60s. It was great, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was a lot different when the 80s because at the beginning of the 80s, you, didn't, you couldn't watch movies in your home unless you had thousands of dollars. I mean, VHSs, I don't even think were, uh, VCRs, excuse me, I don't think were maybe even consumer at that point. I'm not sure when they went consumer models. Uh, you know, but by the end of the '80s, there's a VCR in every house. There's a TV in every room. Video game, the rise of video games, yeah. comic books, the, the, like we had on our comic book episode, the renaissance of that, and music, as well. I mean, it was it was a cornuc- it was a renaissance of, you know, for lack of a better word, creativity in a lot of ways. Uh, that is still often imitated, never duplicated. Uh, you know, but but that's a good thing because creativity and entertainment has to evolve that's why you know stranger things is a modern tv show that is an homage ready player one is going to be a nostalgic ride through who knows what apparently a lot of things according to the trailer which is you know i'm fine with that because when done right it works but anyway okay there you go sean sorry i think that was an extra 30 minutes to the podcast and <laughs> my time is limited so we're going to wrap it up so uh, until next week, as I mentioned, it'll be my it'll be a bridge before we do another uh, themed group of episodes. Uh, so next week will be the big one, my top ten personal top ten picks for the best films or favorite films. I guess would be a better way to put it of 1986. 
next week on 80s Revisited. So until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Jenny Hayden. That's like, and it's because I guess I should talk about this on the podcast, but uh, Autumn's stepdad like would watch Starman a lot, apparently. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I hate that movie. I'm like, why do you hate Starman? It's like my stepdad used to watch all the time. That doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Right. And then when, he probably she, liked good movies. She told me this a long time ago. So, like, one of the, like, I, what, she, like, she'll say something stupid. I'll be like, I'll just act like that I don't understand why she's saying. I'll just be like, Jenny Hayden. And she knows that, like, she said something stupid. <laughs> so it's a personal thing with us. Jenny yeah. Hayden? Find this show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.